Let's pray. Father, as we get into your word today, we do, we do ask, God, that you would minister to our hearts. As we see some, to me, some deep reality, Lord, that should impact our relationship with you and impact how we walk with you, I pray, God, it would go deep within us, not, not just in our ear gate and kind of in our mind and then we dump it later on because it's just information, but Lord, I pray that you would impact us with it. I think of the people that got this letter the first time in the first century and how they desperately needed it because of the times they were living in. And Lord, I, I believe we need it just as bad today. And Lord, I, I, know, I know some of us were struggling. We're struggling physically, but Lord, I know some of us are really struggling, struggling spiritually. So touch us today. God, reach in our hearts and, and massage them and get them in the place where, God, we're ready to follow you. And, and Lord, we're willing, just as we sing, Lord, we want to surrender all that we have. And we want to glorify you. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we, as we kind of pick up, I know last week we started chapter 2. And if you remember, I said verses 1 through 4 are kind of parenthetical. In chapter 1, the author has been writing about Jesus is greater than. He's greater than the prophets. And he talked about he's greater than the, the angels and and. and talking about angels and their ministry. And then all of a sudden, he writes this thing about drifting. I believe, listen, I believe, once again, remember, there weren't chapters and verses. These guys are just writing a letter. They're just sharing their heart with people, and especially these people who are hurting, who are scared, who are in a place where they don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, what's gonna happen with their lives, and so they're freaking out a little bit. So as he's writing, he's writing all of this glorious stuff about the deity of Christ and who he is, and then I think it just hits him. But guys, don't drift. And remember we talked about that's not a warning, it's an encouragement. Get your anchor set in him and trust him and you're gonna be okay. And he's like, you know, he's letting them know don't get caught up in that tide where it's gonna pull you away, but follow him. And then now in verse five, he comes back to the idea of angels, which is kind of interesting to me and, and talking about it. But the beginning of this, well, this whole section we're reading about to me is interesting because it goes from Jesus is God to Jesus is man. Why? Because both of those are important. You cannot have the Jesus of the Bible without understanding he's 100% man and he's 100% God. I know that equals 200% and I know people go, that doesn't make sense. That's your problem. <laughs> it's got to be that way. The Jesus of the Bible, that's who he is. And yes, it's complicated, but then again, that's why we walk by faith. You see, there's enough evidence to prove that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Well, there's not so much to prove it, but there's enough to give us faith to trust that, but... We have to exercise that element of faith. We've got to trust God in the things that we can't understand. 
And we got to say, okay, God. So the author of Hebrews now is focusing on that. Why? Because these people are struggling. And do you know what the first heresy in the church was? The first heresy in the church didn't have to do with the deity of Christ. The first heresy had to do with his humanity. Doceticism, look it up, Google it. Get involved a little bit in, in finding out some of the history of things that happened. And there's all, there was a whole group of people that were going, no way, Jose. There's no way, well, they probably didn't say Jose, but they, you know, they're saying that cannot happen, that cannot be. So part of this is saying, yes, it can. So let's, let's read verse 14. Verse 14 says this. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Again, talking about angels. And then verse 5 of chapter 2 says this. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Here's what the author is doing. He's trying to get us to understand. Angels have a position. And they have a place in God's plan and God's creation but they don't, they don't overlap. In other words, listen, angels are angels, humans are humans, and God is God. And we all have a place, but listen, man, we don't take the place of angels, and angels don't take the place of us. So here's what he's saying. There's a world to come, and there's gonna be those who have dominion in that world, but guess what? They're not gonna be angels. Angels were never set up to rule. What does verse 14 of chapter one say? They're ministering spirits. They aren't there to govern. They aren't there to judge. They aren't there. They're there to serve and to minister. So we need to understand that. So who is gonna, I, I, I kind of like the idea. He like throws this out there and who is he talking about? Oh, by the way, when he talks about, you know, the world to come, I think he's talking about that millennial age when Jesus sets up his, condom, his, his kingdom and uh, who's going to rule and reign during that time? Yeah, not angels. So what does he say? Listen, I love this. Verse 8, I'm, I'm sorry, not verse 8, verse 6. But one testifies in a certain place. Now, I got to comment on that because to me it's interesting. This guy has got to have a Jewish background. He's got to have a Hebrew background. And he's writing to Hebrews. And do you notice what he says? There's one that testifies in a certain place. He's about to quote Psalm 8. Now, I don't believe for a moment he didn't know that he was quoting Psalm 8. And I don't believe for a moment the people he was writing to didn't know he was quoting Psalm 8. They have that background. And here's what I love. He just kind of, instead of, instead of being in that place where it's all about intellectual and, and academia, here's what he says. There's a guy that testifies in a certain place. Saints, sometimes when you're sharing with people, you don't have to act all like you're, you know, you're, you're the, the, the person who has all of the background and everything together. It's okay to say, hey, in the Bible somewhere it says this. And you can just tell people that and let them know that. Hey, you may even know it, I think sometimes it brings comfort because when we act all brainiac and all smart, sometimes here's what people think. At least here's what I think. When people are going real brainiac on me, here's what I think. I am so not that. So if they're sharing that, then I can't be what they are. And it all, all automatically kind of puts up a little bit of a wall. I can't be who they are. So I love this. He goes, hey, he goes, someone 
right? Isn't that hilarious? But one testifies in a certain place saying, now he quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You've set him over the works of your hands and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Now, when you read that, where does your mind automatically go? Who's it, who does it automatically go to? Jesus. That's not who he's talking about. Go read that psalm in its entirety. What is, who is the psalm talking about? That psalm is talking about us. Mankind. Yeah, I, I, I get this image. Whenever I read this or I read Psalm 8, I get this image of David because David wrote it. I get this image of David kind of out on a hillside. And yeah, I know he's king now. But hey, once a shepherd, always a shepherd, right? And you're going to hang out on it. I, I kind of get this vision of him one night out on a hillside, kind of leaning back in the grass, maybe even laying down, looking up at the creation and all that God made, and we discussed that, a, 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 well, a long time ago, but in my mind, a few weeks ago. But listen, man, and all that he created, he's looking at that vast creation, and then here's what hits him. Here's what hits his heart. God, what is man that you're mindful of him? And it just blows his mind that God is intimately involved with his creation, that God would choose to have a relationship with us and come out of all of that glory, all of that vastness to interact with humanity. I think David is absolutely blown away. And then greater than that, he's blown away that God would entrust us with taking care of this place. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Now some of you are going, I don't think we have dominion. Go to, go to Genesis chapter one. Turn in the very beginning of your Bible, the beginning of the beginning. And we're going, to, we're going to pick it up in verse 26. So again, you can flip there. I'm going to start reading. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. I love the way the New King James puts that, right? I mean, I don't think about creepy things that much. And I love the idea that he says, over every creepy thing that creeps. Tonight, go outside. You know, after dark, go outside. There's some creepy things out there, right? Go outside and, and look at one of the creepy things and do this. I have dominion over you. <laughs> Listen, man, he made us, do, do, you, do, you, do you believe that God did that? I believe God. He says, hey, you're gonna rule over everything. Man was supposed to come and have control of this place and rule over all the animals. Now listen, I know we rule over animals now sort of in a, in a, in a gross way. We, we mandate it and we, we, we push ourselves on it, but there was supposed to be this, this hierarchy. We were supposed to have dominion over them. And then it says, verse 27, so God created man in his own image 
And in the, image of God, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and, and subdue it, having dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he goes on, and he talks about herbs and trees and etc. That's how it was supposed to be. God created us for that. And David is seeing that in Psalm 8. Do you kind of think maybe that day in his day Bible reading, David read Genesis chapter 1? And he went, God, this blows my mind. And so the, the author of Hebrews, back to Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is laying that out. Now, why does he lay that out? Again, remember, we're laying the groundwork for the humanity of Jesus. So he's laying the groundwork. Here's who man was supposed to be. Look at the end of verse eight. The end of verse eight says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. Why? Why do we not right now see man in that position of authority where he's ruling over everything? Genesis chapter three. Read that for homework. Man gave up his authority. Man decided that he would give that over to another and not hang on to that authority. So in that, we have this place where we've blown it and we're not in that position of authority. There will come a time when Jesus comes and sets up his millennial kingdom where all of that is gonna be restored. All of that is gonna be back in its right place. And you and I, as believers, get to come back and rule and reign with him in the way that God intended this place to run. I've already claimed Bisbee. Uh, some people go, why would you do that? Because it's my hometown. But we're gonna do that, yet we don't see it right now. So he lays out, here's man, and here's why man and what man was created for, yet it's not happening. Now, here's why I don't think verses five through eight are talking about Jesus. Look at verse nine. Verse nine says, but we see Jesus, right? So if he had been talking about Jesus, he wouldn't have to say, but we see Jesus. Now, I, I just wanna draw attention to this because I think this is important. He didn't say, but we could see Jesus. He didn't say, but we have seen Jesus. He didn't say, but we will see Jesus. What does he say? But we see Jesus right now. Listen, I know, I know, I, I believe most of us, I think I can speak for almost all of us, we've never physically seen Jesus. I've never physically seen Jesus. But by faith, I've seen Jesus. By faith, I believe and walk. So I have seen Jesus. So here's what he says, but we see Jesus. Now check this out. Who was made a little lower than the angels. Who was made a little lower than the angels? Man, the angels are in a position, again, not of authority, but in a position of creation. And angels, I don't know if you guys know this, angels can do things we can't. Like they don't need doors. They don't need windows. They don't even need cars. So that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about position of authority. He's talking about, you know, and here's what he's saying. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels. What does that tell us? 
We see Jesus in his humanity. He became man. This one that I told you in chapter one is fully God. Now I'm telling you in chapter two is fully man. And again, you gotta kind of process that as far as you can. But he says this, he goes further. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, might, that he by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Verse nine I believe is emphatic and, and it's going to be developed that Jesus is man. But even greater than that, here's what verse nine tells us, I think, more emphatically. Jesus came for one reason, to die. The death of Christ was not an accident. The death of Christ was not something that went awry. The death of Christ wasn't, you know, here's this guy and all of a sudden he's a martyr. This was planned before creation was ever created. And he came, and we need to understand that he came to die to taste death for everyone. He came, and we're gonna develop this, to take our place so you and I don't have to pay the price for the sin that we have committed. And he's trying to hammer that home. And the only way he could do that is he had to become man and live here. So he lays that out. Then verse 10 says this, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Man, verse 10 is a mouthful. Verse 10, listen, first of all, he says it was fitting for him. Who's he talking about? God. It was fitting for God, and here's what the author's saying. It was fitting for God to do what he did. Why? Because of the character of God, because of the holiness of God, because of the righteousness of God, because of the goodness of God, because of the love of God, Jesus had to come and take our place. If God were just to wink at sin and say, oh, it's okay, ollie ollie oxen free. Did you guys ever do that when you played games? Some of you young people Google it. God could not just say, you know what, it's okay, your sin's okay, I'm gonna forgive it. Why couldn't he do that? Because he's righteous, because he's holy, because he's just. He couldn't do that. Here's the dilemma for God, if it's really a dilemma, in our, in our, in, you know, from our perspective. Here's the dilemma of God. I love the world, and they're messed up. How can I save them? Because one sin, anyone who sins, he has to express his wrath. It has to be, because that's who he is. If he doesn't, then he's not a fair, righteous, just, holy God. So do you understand why he's saying it's fitting? And there's only one way. Someone had to come and take that wrath for us and then raise again on the third day. That had to happen. So he says, I love it. It's fitting for him who created all things and by him all things were made. And he says, bringing many sons to glory. Don't you love that part? Do you know heaven's gonna be a little crowded? I know some, some of us holiness people, some of us that are really into kind of work salvation, we think it's gonna be us and a couple of our friends. 
Heaven's going to be crowded. And I believe, listen, I believe we're going to be shocked at some of the people who are in heaven. I believe, honestly, after we get over the awe of being in the presence of God, I think someone's going to look around and go, seriously? And people are going to look at us and do the same thing, right? I mean, hey, it's going to be, sh- it's going to be full. I love this, bringing many sons to glory. And you might even underline the bringing. Listen, he's not saying you're going to get to glory. What does he say? God's going to bring you to glory. Hallelujah, huh? And then he says, listen, and then he says, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The captain the leader, the author, the originator, whatever term, that's a, you know, that's a difficult Greek word to, to uh, uh, interpret. I think captain's a good one. Captains usually lead the guys. Here's, here's the thing. This one who led the way for our salvation, the one who made it possible for us to be saved. And then he says this thing that might throw some of us for kind of a loop, that he says, hey, he was made perfect through salvation. When you look at that, you go, I'm sorry, through sufferings. You say, but wasn't Jesus perfect? Yeah. Well, then how can he be made perfect through suffering? It might be better to translate that complete. Salvation could not happen without Jesus going to the cross, period. And it's not so much, listen, it's not so much the physical suffering. You've, you've heard me say this many times. It was the spiritual suffering. Do you understand when Jesus was on the cross that the wrath of God was being poured out on him? The wrath of God for every sin ever committed anywhere, anytime, it's being poured out. He's taking that full brunt of the wrath of God. Talk about suffering. And in that, he completed the work of salvation. He made it possible. And so that's what the author's talking about. And when that gets a hold of your heart, listen, saints, when that gets a hold of your heart, you're like, whoo. Now it gets a little bit better. Now he's gonna kind of get into the place. Listen, I think he laid the groundwork here. Here's who Jesus is. Yes, he's God. Yes, he's human. Yes, he died for our sins. And again, I think just like us, a lot of them know that. They're going, okay, that's cool, but we're still hurting we got people coming against us. We got people, you know, we, we're having a hard time getting together. We're having all of these things. And so they're still a little bit freaked out. So listen as he builds this, verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Yes! Do you know that Jesus calls you brethren or sisterin? Just trying to be politically correct. Is that awesome? Now, I think some people take this too far and they go, you know, they'll pray and they'll go, hey, bro, you got to show respect. It's like, come on. He can call you bro. You need to call him Lord. But he calls us his brethren. He looks at us as family. I'm a younger brother. I'm a little brother. And I love my older brother, my big brother. He is bigger than me too, so. And in school, you always had that thing where, man, if somebody pounded on you, you called your big brother. We have Jesus. How good is that? 
He's our big brother. So he says, listen, he calls him brother. And then he quotes, some, he quotes Psalm 22. He quotes Isaiah 8. He says, listen, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. In verse 12, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. So listen, man, he strings these things together to get us to understand that Jesus thinks of us as family and he loves us as family. And listen, he's not ashamed to declare the name of God in the midst of the assembly and in the midst of the brethren and then I love this part man have you ever thought about this in the midst of the assembly what does it say I will sing do you know Jesus sang man wouldn't you love to hear Jesus sing he's got the perfect voice right last night when we were worshiping I got a little loud I just love to worship. And I figure God hears with perfect ears and those of you who don't, that's your problem. <laughs> and whenever I get loud, Gaynell will always, she'll either nudge me or she'll slip her hand and her arm around my arm and pull me in. And I know what that means. Shh. I'm in the front, I can't mess anybody up. She says you can mess Rob up, he's got earplugs. but you don't have to tell Jesus to shh. And I think when we get to heaven, we'll all have perfect voices. If not, we'll have perfect ears to hear. But listen, man, could you imagine, could you imagine being the 12 and singing with him? Oh, that, uh, he goes, man, I sing in the assembly, and, and he says, listen, man, he says, I'm gonna put my trust in him, and here are the children whom you've given me. Now, I know, listen, Isaiah 8, I know Isaiah 8, Isaiah's talking about his kids, but obviously, obviously you can apply that to Jesus and us. And then, gets a little bit closer, verse 14, inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Do you get the idea over and over and over? This author is saying, listen, he's man, he's humanity. He's not some kind of make-believe. It's not some kind of, you know, weird stuff, matrix going on, trying to freak you out. It's not, not some kind of hologram. He, it was really flesh and blood. I kind of like that. Now, here's something interesting. I guess in the original language, it says blood and flesh. Some of the commentaries I read had, 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 had paragraphs on. It should be blood and flesh. I don't care which way you say it. It's like, seriously? Listen, sometimes we get too smart and we, we start looking at things like, seriously? What difference does it make if I say blood and flesh or flesh and blood? So he's human. That's the point. He's human, and he's, and he's with us. And then he says, listen, man, likewise he shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus set us free, and one of the ways he set us free is we don't have to be afraid to die. He destroyed that power. Look at humanity, talk to people on the street. One of the biggest things is that fear, even those who act like they're all that. It's interesting, I, ha I have a book, uh, quotes of, uh, dying quotes of saints and sinners. So it's kind of interesting when, when these people who are hardcore, they resist God, they reject God, they're hardcore on their deathbed, what they have to say as they're dying, 
Because man's afraid to die. Why? Because they don't know what's going to come. You and I know what's going to come. Now listen, it isn't taking away the fear of the process of dying. None of us have done that, so that's scary. But he's taken away that power that Satan holds over us. And we don't have to be afraid of death, right? Doesn't he say in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, oh, death, where's your sting? Not afraid anymore. So he destroyed that power. Now listen, when it says he destroyed the devil, he doesn't mean he took him out. It means he destroyed that power that he has over us. And when, and listen, and I think it creeps in. Hey, sometimes it creeps in and we get a little bit freaked out. You just have to remember, wait a minute, Jesus conquered death. I don't have to be afraid of that. I don't have to be fearful of that. I don't have to wonder about that because he's already conquered it. So he lets us know that. And then check this out, verse 16, for, he in, or for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Listen, all of that, talking about his help, talking about the fact that he can encourage us Angels don't need to be afraid of death. Why? They don't die. So Jesus didn't die to set them free. Jesus didn't die to help them out. Jesus didn't die for their benefit. He died for our benefit. The seed of Abraham, by the way, he's not talking about the physical seed of Abraham. He's talking about the spiritual seed of Abraham. You and I, if you have faith, you're part of that faith family of Abraham. You're part of that seed. And he came and he did that. Now listen, man, I read that and here's what I think, man. Jesus is on my side. I don't have to be afraid. I love that attitude. Once again, in grade school, not so much in high school, it's more in grade school, calling on my big brother, hey, come and bail me out. Now, as an adult, I call on my big brother, Jesus. I need your help. And here's the thing. When we're afraid, when we're scared, and I know some of you go, oh, I don't get that way. Well, now you're lying in church and you got to deal with that issue. <laughs> when we're wrestling with things, when we're looking at the world around us, why don't we call on the name of Jesus? Why don't we go to him for aid? Why do we, some of us call one another. Some of us want the pastor to come. We think the pastor has some kind of, you know, magical incantation he can do and everything will be all right. Why don't we call on Jesus? He came to aid us. He came to make those things right for us. And here's what he's telling this group of, uh, uh, of Hebrew Christians that are, I, I look at them, they gotta be hiding away and they gotta be freaked out right now. Here's what he's saying, man. Call on him for aid. Don't worry about everything else. Don't, don't worry about what's going on here or what's going on there. Call on the name of the Lord and let him come and bring you aid. That's what he came for. Therefore, verse 17, in all things, he had to be made in the likeness of his brethren. Once again, in all things, not just skin, not just bones, in all things, in emotional Everything about him, Jesus was 100% human. That's important to understand. He said he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do some study of the high priest's as you read through the Old Testament, we're, we're through most of that section now in our Bible reading, but wouldn't hurt you to go back and read it. You know, the high priest, 
Even Aaron and his sons, even in the beginning, were a little bit distant from the people. Here's what they were doing. They were just doing their representation. Here's what he says. Jesus is the merciful, faithful. Why? He can relate to us. He knows. I don't think there's anybody who can relate to you better than Jesus. And we need to understand that. And we need to understand that he came, he came to die, but greater than that, he came to be that high priest for us that we know now we can go into the holy of holies boldly with the blood of Jesus Christ. And man, I just love that whole idea. And again, I know some of us, if we're newer believers, we haven't paid much attention to the Old Testament, go back and read it, go back and get involved and find out all that he's talking about here with the high priest, but then greater than that, he says he can be the high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You may have a different translation and it may say atonement. If your Bible says atonement, cross it out and put propitiation. They're not the same. And that's man's attempt at watering down and making palatable the whole idea of why Jesus died. Propitiation, if you understand the meaning, it's not real popular. Here's what propitiation means. God has to express his wrath and it has to be expressed on somebody. Jesus took that wrath on our behalf. People don't like to talk about that. See, atonement is covering. Propitiation is paying for. Big difference. And the original word is propitiation. Jesus willingly, willingly came and paid everything you and I owe completely. When he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. There's nothing more. We don't even have to leave the tip. It's done. And it's finished. And that's why that word is so important to leave in our English language. In the original language, it's, you know, it's, it's there. But in our English language, man, don't erase that. Don't do away with that. He did come for the purpose of making propitiation for our sins because that's what dying on the cross was all about. It's not some martyrdom. It's not something we can look at and go, oh, and kind of get weepy-eyed and all of that. No, it was an act he did. It was a purposeful act that he did on our behalf. Now it gets even better. Verse 18, all of that was introduction. Look at verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted. Wow. Just close your eyes and think about that for a moment. Jesus was tempted. Now, again, I don't like all the theological things. If you ever go to Bible college or any of that, you know, you have to sit around and you have to, you know, kind of do the whole theology thing. And, and if Jesus was fully God, God can't sin. So what's the point of temptation? And then you sit around as a you know, young, younger uh, student of the word and you're going, oh yeah, and then, then someone else says, but he was fully man and as man he could sin. Well, could he sin or couldn't he sin? That's not the point. The point is Jesus didn't sin. And the point is being perfect can you imagine the temptation he went through? And here's the thing. We get tempted, right? Any of you get tempted? How many of you got tempted? Don't raise your hand. On the way to church. 
But we get tempted, right? We get tempted, and our temptation goes in degrees, and, and like for some of us, like this is level, the temptation goes to here, and we cave. Some of us, we go to here. Jesus went all the way. That's intense when you think about it. Hey, the temptation for him was a bazillion times more than it was for us. And when was Jesus, you know, when was he tempted? Well, you know, we know some of the obvious ones, right? Remember right after he was baptized, he was tempted in the wilderness. He was tempted later on when his family rejected him. He was tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can go on and on. He was tempted at the trial. So he had those. But even greater than that, do you know what? He had to live through being a baby. Being a toddler. Going through adolescence. Think of all of those things. And he was victorious in all of those things. And then think about, I think the greatest for me would be, the greatest temptation for me would be those that I'm closest to rejecting me and walking away. Those that I'm closest to lying about me and turning me in. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't understand. And here's the great thing. When you're being tempted, go to him. He understands. Now, so I know people love to say this. You didn't know what it's like to get a speeding ticket. Duh. He knows what it's like to be tempted to break the law. So don't try and be, you know, don't try and be that brainiac and, and put it in things. Jesus understands. Years ago, when I first got saved, I read the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you don't know. Uh, Wilkerson, Dave Wilkerson, uh, got saved and, and did this work in New York. And as he did the work, I'm going to let that go. But coffee, make sure you go to the coffee house afterwards. But he's in New York. He starts his thing. Then he started Teen Challenge, and that's grown since then. But in the book, I'll never forget, in the book, and this has helped me in my Christian life, in the book, he would say this. When the devil comes knocking on my door, I just turn around and say, Jesus, it's for you. Remember that, saints. Don't try and fight it. Hey, when that temptation comes, just turn around and say, hey, Jesus, you need to take care of this because you can, because of who you are. That's what I love about this. So he builds this whole thing as Jesus was completely human. I believe part of it is for this one reason, so we can understand. He understands us. We have a God. Listen, we don't have a cosmic God that sits up in the universe and is so distant and so removed from us and doesn't care about us. We have a God who intimately got involved in our world and is intimately involved in our lives and he cares about what you're going through. Let him answer the door of temptation. Let him go before you. Let him be that captain of your salvation and work before you and understand that he was human just as much as he was God. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you, God, for your grace in our lives. And I thank you this morning, Lord, that we have an opportunity to, to read and to look at uh, and, and read the words that were written to a group of people who are going through difficult times, going through hard times, and Lord, just like us, we're going, through, we're going through a time unprecedented in our lifetime.
And God, we can get mad and stomp our feet and we can get involved in so many things or we can shine brightly for you. And I believe the author of Hebrews is telling these guys, hey, quit, quit hiding yourselves, quit cloistering away in these little groups and get out and be light. And let the world see what it is to walk with this one we call Jesus. Have confidence that as we step out in faith and we sang it in two or three songs as we step out in faith that you're not gonna leave us out there and hang us out to dry, but you're gonna be with us. God, glorify yourself in our lives. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for what I consider promises of who you are and what you want to do in us and through us. And I'm gonna ask everyone, stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, right now is the time. The Bible says call on his name and you will be saved. Now listen, we've looked We've looked and understand Jesus came to die on the cross. He came to take our punishment. We've looked at that, so I'm praying that's sunk into your heart. Now all you have to do is appropriate that for your life. You can either say, yes, Jesus, I want to accept what you did for me. Or you can say, no, I don't care about that. I don't want anything to do with that. Hey, that's up to you. Our prayer is you would say yes. And by saying yes, listen, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And it's gonna be a simple prayer of faith calling on his name. And you can say it out loud, you can say it silently. If you're backslidden today, man, come home. If you've drifted away that we looked at last time, hey, come back, come home. And let him soothe that aching heart that you have. If you're watching online, and God is touching your heart right now, right where you're at, man. Stand up with us, say this prayer. And if you're home, you can say it out loud, especially if you're home alone. But if people are around, say this prayer with us, call on his name. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for your forgiveness. And right now, I want you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. Today, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.